0: Blob Talk Radio. Good morning, everyone. This is Johnny Tan, author of From My Mama's Kitchen, Food for the Soul, Recipes for Living. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio Show. My guest for this morning is Christina Adams, She is the award winning author of the memoir, A Real Boy. Christina is also a journalist and speaks on autism, writing, culture, and camels. National Public Radio has featured her work, and so did The Washington Post, The Los Angeles Times, Gulf News, Dubai One, OZY, WebMD, Tata Sky TV, and Global Advances in Health and Medicine. As an expert on autism and the use of camel milk to treat autism symptoms and behaviors, Christina advises families and scientists from many countries. She enjoys connecting with people from all cultures. Christina and I will be having a conversation about her incredible life's journey and her latest book, Camel Crazy, A Quest for Miracles in the Mysterious World of Camels. Good morning, Christina. Welcome to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. How are you doing this morning? I'm delighted to be here, and and I love the the
1: concept of the show, too. I can't wait to talk about all the wonderful things that one talks about around the kitchen table.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. It is a pleasure to have you on the air with me. Camel Crazy is a wonderful read. It is extremely informative and beautifully written, and I love the various pictures included in the book as it brings... To life the Woods Express in the various pages. So congratulations on that. Thank you very much. Wonderful. Let us start by getting to know you a little bit better. Please give us a quick walkthrough of your life from childhood to the present moment. Well
1: I was lucky enough to uh, be born in a, in Washington DC. It's our nation's capital and that kind of gave me a big picture as a young as a young girl. I knew that there were very big and important and interesting things happening nearby me. So that sort of uh, gave me a curiosity to the wider world. And even though I was just uh, a girl, that I mean, a modest modest uh, economic situation. My parents were both um, of people that had from people that had worked in the coal mining area in the Appalachian Mountains. So we didn't have a lot of material things, but we had a wonderful home. And I really think that's important. And uh, so I grew up in the uh, the fields in the woods of Virginia, outside D.C., and I had plenty of time in nature, and I was lucky enough to have a mother that could stay at home for a while with us and played lots of sports with the neighborhood boys, mostly, and some girls. I even had a little motorcycle I would ride all through the, the woods, and I got to be very independent, and I think that was a, a good thing for me. And and then I moved down to the Appalachian Mountains when I was a teenager. my family wanted to to have a farm, and so I was exposed to a whole different way of life, a more slow kind of country way and those uh those values that the people had there you know nothing too flashy, mm-hmm. nothing too exciting, just kind of uh, everybody was pretty um you know very um i guess i 'd say they had just had a lot of integrity and they never pretended to be more than they were and mm-hmm. I thought that was um in retrospect, it's good to be surrounded by people like that and so uh then I went to college and i went to to uh, back to d c immediately as soon as I got out of college because I wanted to go back and participate in that you know larger governmental and mm-hmm. international and journalistic world and so lucky for me, I started working at the Pentagon and I did get into newspaper editing and uh, learned how uh, our our um, our systems work. I got into mm-hmm. uh, working with the you know, the army at the high levels, and uh, not that I was a high level, but, you know, I, I was supporting what was happening mm-hmm. at those higher levels. So you get a real look at how the world works. And so I was uh, grateful in retrospect. I kind of learned how what they call the chain of command works, you know, like how right. how are decisions right. made, and, and if, you, if you don't like something, how do you try to resolve it within that larger <laughs> context? And I'll tell you, that's been a very valuable lesson, you know, um, we all have to deal with the systems and bigger than ourselves, and if we right. kind of learn how to participate, but uh, rattle the cage when it needs rattling, that's what uh, that's what it takes sometimes to to make mm-hmm. progress. Mm-hmm. And so, so then good. I moved to uh, the Midwest, you know, for, and did some video production, speech writing, and some other things. And then I came to California and and uh, worked in um, aerospace, and uh, then I got a. Um, a degree in writing, a master's degree in writing. So ever since then, I've been focused on the the written word more than ever.
0: That's fantastic. You know, a master's degree in writing, it makes me sound so bad when like, okay, is there something major difference in terms of – having a degree a master's degree in writing versus someone who just learned english <laughs>
1: i would say don't waste your time getting a master's degree in writing get something like accounting or an mba <laughs> and that doesn't matter what language you speak and anything so careers that, that deal with numbers are are always more uh, lucrative than careers that deal with words
0: <laughs> what hmm. drew you to writing
1: I think I'm one of those people that just came came out that way. I was mm-hmm. able to read when I was four, and I just always loved reading. And I loved uh, the way that you got an entry into other worlds because mm-hmm. I am that curious kind of person. I've always been interested in in just about anything. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, reading books early, and that's wonderful uh, for me. That my parents, even though you know we just a regular kind of. Um, middle family at that time. They were so good in that they had books around the house. They never discouraged me from reading at all. They actually never tried to interfere with anything I read. And I was reading far above my age into a lot of different uh, things, but they never did anything but support that. And so I, and that's been a really good thing for me. Um, Always, they did not fetter my curiosity. They just let it happen. And they didn't That's try to beautiful. force me into anything. Yeah, it really was. They just they were really great. They just kind of let me be who I was and who I was becoming. They didn't mm-hmm. push me in anything, but they didn't stop me either. And they did support the the kind of things we could do. Like there's right. a, an organization called 4H in America that
0: right you know right. it's all I'm about familiar with that um, yes
1: mm-hmm. yeah yeah so um I was lucky enough to participate in that and and people think of it as a farming type of thing, but it's not. We right. actually have competitions for. You know, a a public speaking, I won a state competition Mm -hmm. in that. And um, so, you know, just those things, you don't have to be wealthy in order to find things to participate in for your children. And and I I benefited from that.
0: Beautiful. When did writing evolve into a career?
1: I always thought that I would use it in some way. But initially in in high school, I wanted to be an archaeologist very badly. But mm-hmm. slowly, I started to realize i'm not I wasn't good in math back then. There was no such thing as as tutoring. There was no such thing as you know <laughs> someone trying to help you with chemistry and so right. I thought, well, archaeology probably demands some of those things, and I was very sad that I wasn't going to get to do that but then i immediately said, "Well, maybe that broadcast kind of thing that people are doing I could do that some kind of news organization." And mm-hmm. so I did uh, start following that path, and uh, I was lucky enough to become an editor of a newspaper, the Pentagon, and uh, do um, public relations and all that. I think writing is is a skill that if you have it, uh, you can really work your way into different organizations because it's hard to write for many people. It's not it's not the easiest thing. You have to be a picky, detail oriented word person, and and people that can do that some people don't want to touch it and they'll say hey you go write that and do a good job and then it gives you other other career paths so that's how i got into video production and and writing just about anything i mean a good writer can write just about anything so i've written you know science copy i've written uh, mm-hmm. uh scripts and i've written all kinds of things so
0: i guess it's just
1: um you take whatever skill you have that you're best at and let that maybe be the engine that drives the rest of rest of your career
0: Very, very interesting. What is the difference between a journalist and a storyteller?
1: Well, for to be a journalist, you kind of have to be a storyteller, but there are differences. So if you're a storyteller, you can find that story that appeals to you and tell it in whatever format that you want. But as a journalist, you have to tell the story, but you have to do it in a way that, A, is ethical – like uh, as a journalist, you're not supposed to, um, you know, you can't, you can't um, twist the facts to make your story prettier or anything like that. You've got to to report things as they are, and you also um, have to be uh, careful to get the reader's attention. Had, that's mm-hmm. why we see you know the kind of sc- screaming ish headlines that we see in some of your more <laughs> uh tabloidish publications, but even right. the regular publications you know they have to get the attention, so you have to learn how to structure the story to capture that person that's moving quickly but wants to know what you want to say
0: very very interesting who were you who were the influences when you were growing up
1: well I was um as As I was able to have some books in the house, not a lot, but some, and I read a lot public library uh, person for sure, a lot of my influences were historical. I remember mm-hmm. reading about um Amelia Earhart, and mm-hmm. that was quite inspirational that you know a woman can fly all around and do all these things and and then I read about Harriet Tubman when I was young, and I remember um you know the story of how she was forced to uh take care of um people's children and then she was uh, injured in her in her head by mm-hmm. one of the 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 cruel people and she had to live with that the rest of her life but she did unbelievably daring feats that have almost been unrivaled to this day by any man or um other people so i was always impressed by that and then um, men too you know i had uh, i was always read a lot of history so mm-hmm. i i just like the idea that people can go out and and do things in different places and and just kind of get them done. Uh so I guess that really reading did inform a lot of that. I also had, you know, a really good mom and dad. Those things were really good. And um some nice relatives that I really looked up to, but I would say mostly it was uh historical figures.
0: Very very interesting. How did your journalist trade contribute to your personal life?
1: Well, probably it's gotten me in trouble <laughs> because who would, who would think that I would be writing about um, a camel when I have no, uh, no experience of them before. I, I, uh, I, I like to ask questions. I like to know what's going on. So mm-hmm. that's a good thing in that I, I meet people. I, I see what's going on. I can kind of synthesize information Mm-hmm. and it is part of my personality that i do that because that's just how i am i like to understand things and so i guess it's it's been very enhancing because i get to learn a lot i get to soak up a lot of things and that way when you pay attention to things you get more meaning out of them if you just mm-hmm. kind of take stuff at face value you just get the mainstream story and you don't really know what's going on there or what the significance is in the world but uh uh, yeah, that trait I think is uh, a lot of people have it. If you're a curious person and you like to know what's going on, then you've got that trait too.
0: Very, very interesting. It sounds like you have a tremendous amount of self-awareness. When I say self-awareness, it's not necessarily just about you, but self-awareness about the world around you as well.
1: Well, I thank you for that. I I guess I I do like to do that. I always. Mm-hmm have been interested. My world used to be pretty small, you know, as a, as I said, mm-hmm. a child growing up in Virginia, but I was always in, mentally engaged with the idea of what else was out there. And yeah. um, now, the, doing what I do now, I get engaged with so many parts of the world that I had no idea. I mean, I'm, I I hear from people in the Sudan I hear from Mm -hmm. uh, people in Kenya. I hear from people all over the place. And and so I didn't really ever know that was going to happen, but it's been very interesting for me.
0: Wonderful. Well, in reading your book, what I got out of it, it sort of validates the concept that I have in terms of let curiosity educate us about ourselves, others, and the world. And that's what I got in terms of how it just unfold itself with you.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I agree, because um, if you're going to write a book, and I've done it two times, to- well, I've written more than i published. I wrote one, but my son was diagnosed with autism, so I let that one fall. But the two that I published, this is the new one, Camel Crazy,
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I, uh, I, it would just happen because I had this idea that I pursued but I knew it was a bigger story and had more more messages for the world, and it could help some people too. So um, what I, I struggled with like, huh, do I make this kind of a, a fact-based story about the people and the animals, or do I bring people along with me? Because they're always very curious about the story. So when I right. sat down and started writing it, I just thought, I think I have to start with a personal story.
0: Mm-hmm. Very true. Well – Whether it's a narration from a technical perspective or even just a personal story, people relate, people would take what they want out of it and need out of it. I think in any writings or any movie, because everybody has their own take in terms of what they need at that moment in time. So it's a perfect uh, uh, snapshot, so to speak, you know, from that perspective.
1: Mm-hmm. I do think that's a, a good thing for us to keep in mind both as people who go through life with our challenges mm-hmm. and as writers and communicators and just a regular person. You never know if that person that you are talking to is having a crisis, but you won't know it. And there can right. be one sentence that you say that can stick with them. And then you don't know as a writer – there can be one thing that you're saying to somebody out there that you may never hear from, but that but that's really going to make a big difference to them. So it just shows how communication between human beings is really uh, so key in so many ways.
0: Right, so true. So please share with us the backstory that lead to that led you to the composition of Camel Crazy. It's a beautiful story in some ways. It's it contains a lot of motherly love in it and everything else. It's all it encompasses the curiosity side of the equation as well.
1: Well, I was uh, standing in a, uh, at a community college at a Children's Book Festival a few years ago, and my son was reading a book. I had just been separated from his father, and to be the single mom of a, of a young child with autism is very challenging, and I knew that was happening and was going to be in my future, and I always was worried about that, and here it was, so... I was at this kid's book fair, and he was happy. He was reading a book, and, and he was doing quite well. So overall, he was doing very well, better than you know um, most kids do when they have his diagnosis. But still, I knew there were things that I could help him with. That he was kind of he wasn't he wasn't quite there yet um, as far as feeling the best that he could feel and doing the best that he could do. And so I was worried. All this was going through my mind at the time, but I saw a camel. And no kids were riding it. And I thought, what's a camel doing here if no kids were riding it? And see, that's where I get in trouble with my journalist trait because I should (laughs) have just minded my own business. But no, who has to go over there and stare at this camel? And it just looked like a camel to me then. It didn't really mean anything to me.
0: Mm -hmm. And then Mm -hmm.
1: I saw a guy standing there, and he had on like a green cap, and he was selling soap and lotion made from camel milk. And I just said, so, what else did they do with this milk? And I tell you, I really don't know to this day why I would ask mm-hmm. such a thing. It's that trait that we're talking about. And he said they, um, yeah, don't do it. They say curiosity killed the cat. In my case, the <laughs> curiosity created the camel. So, uh, And he said they uh, they give it to premature infants in hospitals in the Middle East because it's thought to be non-allergenic and it might be close to mm-hmm. human breast milk. And so ever that was when i got my light bulb moment i had the feeling that this camel milk might be able to sort of reboot my son's immune system and that was always connected to how his autism symptoms uh, presented i thought that we could get more conversation maybe a little smoother conversation out of him i just mm-hmm. thought it might do something like that for him and then i also thought it would be a good dairy substitute for people that can't have regular dairy products because there are a lot of those in in the world too but At that time, he couldn't have regular dairy products because when he had cow milk, it would make him hand flap and toe walk, uh, which are Mm -hmm. autistic kind of things to do. And he also Mm -hmm. said once it felt like there was dirt in his brain. And so I knew that he could never have that, and I struggled with what other milks to give him. And so those rice milks, soy milks, potato milk and all that, um, they weren't perfect. Potato milk was all we had. It was made out of a powder but the other mm-hmm. milks would set off as allergic responses, which is also something you see in, in kids with autism, and many have food, food uh, intolerances as well. So I was just like, I have to go find this milk. And I'd done, of course, a lot of research for my first book called A Real Boy, A True Story of Autism, Early Intervention and Recovery. So I already had all this head full of medical and biomedical mm-hmm. and diet and psychology and all that information. And had lived the story, which I wrote about the first book. So I was prepared. And when I met that camel and I heard those those words, it gave me the idea. So I went home and I researched things, and there was about zero on the Internet, just some weird articles about, you know, camel milk being used in mm-hmm. Russia to treat wounds in 1972 or something strange. And um, so I just kept on going and going. And uh, then I um, finally uh, found an article, a new article, that they had given camel milk to – Uh, autistic children in israel Mm -hmm. and they had gotten better and on a short-term basis so i thought i'm on the right path and so i got it in from uh bedouin people in the desert outside uh jerusalem somewhere in australia Mm -hmm. in in israel i still haven't been to that particular desert so i I hope to go someday but (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's where i got these raw these raw frozen bottles of camel milk And they had to come be flown quite a long way to Los Angeles. And I gave it to my son, and he got unbelievably better. He improved so much better, so much overnight. He got just Mm -hmm. – it was just shocking. Like, I didn't even expect it.
0: It's a beautiful story. Totally, totally a beautiful story. By the way, you're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio, Our podcasts are available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, and Google Play. I'm Johnny Tan, your host, and my guest for this morning is Christina Adams. She is the award-winning author of the memoir, A Real Boy. Christina is also a journalist and speaks on autism, writing, culture, and camels. As an expert on autism and the use of camel milk to treat autism symptoms and behavior, Christina advises families and scientists from many countries. She enjoys connecting with people from all cultures. Christina and I are having a conversation about her incredible life's journey and her latest book, Camel Crazy, A Quest for Miracles in the Mysterious World of Camels. So, Christina, you got to tell us this. What was your first experience in meeting a real-life camel? Besides the one that you saw <laughs> in, the, uh, in the park?
1: Yes. Yeah, so, the beside the one I saw in the park, which to me was just like, okay, here's a camel at the time. It didn't yeah. mean a lot, as I said. Um, mm-hmm. But after I started getting around and realizing that this milk is really powerful and incredible, it made me so much more curious about camels. And at that time, of course, I wished I could have a camel farm, not that I wanted to live <laughs> on a farm, because I already have, and that's some hard work. But, um I was like, I wish I could own a farm or get one started to help mm-hmm. serve everyone and uh, get yeah. this thing going. So I was talking to a lot of people, and I actually found out that there was a camel farm not that far from me. And mm-hmm. I didn't think they sold the milk, though. So, But I was mm-hmm. encouraged, go, you know, go down there, go down there, because I just taught a little class at a college, and I thought that all the students were like, get down there and see if they'll do this. <laughs> so I called them. And they were very wary because they got lots of calls from people that, mm-hmm. you know, and and they just said, oh, gosh, we're just so busy with what we do. But I said, well, I'm trying to really do this for the right reason. So they said, OK, come on down. So I didn't know what to expect. I mean, is it a camel farm? Is it like a is it big industrial type of farm or is it just like mm-hmm. a muddy lot? You know, I had no idea. Yeah. And I thought, you know, well, I want to look OK. They don't know me from from anyone. But what do I wear to a farm? So is it a business thing? Is it a farm thing? I don't know. So it was quite confusing. So when I went there, they, the very first thing they did and it turned out to be a, a farm, an actual farm, and I was mm-hmm. glad I was wearing boots, and a dog immediately came up and put his feet on my, on my lap, you know, so mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. it was like just like going back to you know my family's farm. And so uh, as soon as I got there, I was led out to meet the camels, and boy, are they big? <laughs> they are so big, and even now, I've been in my life around thousands and thousands and thousands of camels, many at the mm-hmm. same time. So, right. Some of these farms I've vi- visited have you know 3,500 camels, but the first impression is their size. They're mm-hmm. uh, they're about they can be 1,600 pounds or more. They can mm-hmm. be seven feet tall or more. They mm-hmm. can uh, there's just no way to process it. Like I kept looking at them and thinking horse because i've ridden horses
0: i've right, ridden right. horses
1: i've been around horses how does this relate to a horse but it just it just doesn't really relate to a horse i kept trying to force it into that horse <laughs> mode mentally and it, it's never going to work i'll tell you now but they are just really big and their heads move very slowly they move mm-hmm. like a very they they have a, a very calm way of moving their necks are really big and thick like a tractor tire thick and mm-hmm. and they're it's very uh, it's very peculiar kind. Of, they're not a fluid animal. They're mm-hmm. a very um, some some things about them are kind of fixed, but they can move. They can move those heads and get at you from any angle. Those necks can go anywhere. So there's <laughs> no place where you can stand that that neck can't get you if it's in the mood. <laughs> and and they're really nice. I've never ever had a problem with camels. They're great, but you know it is mm-hmm. intimidating because they have big teeth and. You're like ah mm-hmm. wow this is quite the animal here. Very <laughs> very. Yeah very so now I'm very comfortable. Yeah I can come yeah. up go up to to camels and pat them and I know you know what to do and all that. But you still you know they need they definitely need respect because they're really big. Mm-hmm.
0: I would imagine it's like to 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 give people uh, an idea it's like you're standing around or in within within elephants. To You know, like to have that size-wise, because I remember my first experience with a horse, I watch it on TV, great, and then when I got on a horse, it's like, holy cow, I'm like about five, yeah. six foot off the, you know, of the ground, yeah. and it's like, oh, oh,
1: <laughs> totally Yeah, different. exactly. It is yeah. really interesting, isn't it? Because uh, we think mm-hmm. we're, you know, we walk around in the worlds that we have made to our scale, but when you mm-hmm. go – out where animals are everything changes it's Mm -hmm. i mean we may be the ones that can exert power over them but in the end they could they could do a lot to us if they wanted to and we're probably just lucky that they don't
0: (laughs) (laughs) so true so true so as you go around the world now fast forward and you travel everywhere and you run into camel uh, farms and so forth please share with us some of the Fantastic facts about camels, and when did that journalistic instinct took over the unconditional motherly love?
1: Yeah, well, I always like to to share experiences if they're important. I'm not one of those people that goes online and shares their makeup or anything like that on <laughs> YouTube, but but I like to share things that are important uh, in articles or things like that, books, such videos, um, if I'm being interviewed. So. I guess from the beginning, this I felt like, wow, this is quite quite a story. So I didn't know if I would ever be writing about it. I wasn't thinking about that at the time at all. But then once I started seeing that the camel thing was so untold, and nobody knows mm-hmm. anything about it in America. I mean like no one, when I started this, knew anything about it. So – i I guess it led me, even though i didn 't really mm-hmm. know I was going to write a book about it at the time, those journalistic instincts were serving what I wanted to do for my son and other children. so mm-hmm. that 's probably the best way to say it, and, and your question's good because I 've never thought about it like that, but they were leading me to do what I needed to do for my son and to try to help others so and as far as the the amazing camels, mm-hmm. so I did unearth some here in America, so I got to start visiting them and they're pretty incredible. So we have at least 5,000 camels in America, maybe more, that's probably a conservative estimate, but they're almost in every state and they're in hot places, cold places, uh, windy places. They're just amazing that they can handle anything because they're the most hardy animal you can imagine. And they're in Michigan, they're in Texas, they're in California. So they just don't like the rain but other than that mm-hmm. they they're pretty they're pretty um, pretty happy then they just go inside when it rains uh if it's too much for them and so i you know you would never know that you can be driving down a freeway here in america mm-hmm. and you won't see anything but there'll be a few camels there could be a few camels like a half a mile over their ridge and you just won't know mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they're also very, very smart. They're second in intelligence only to dogs, many of the experts think. And mm-hmm. a lot of people would put their mental age, if we compare them to humans, which is always a tricky thing to do, not really
0: mm-hmm.
1: what you should do. But, you know, that's our benchmark. So mm-hmm. people estimate they're around the mental age of an 8-year-old child. But then I was up at uh, at a Texas conference re- recently with a lot of camel people, and, and one of the handlers from Australia uh kind of the crocodile dundee type he's like oh you Mm -hmm. see this one here he's like about a 12 year old this 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 bloke is about whatever they say in australia i don't remember what their word is Mm -hmm. but you know he's like about a 12 year old that's a smart one so and camels everybody looks at their humps and they think that that Mm -hmm. holds water like you think they're their water tank but they're Mm -hmm. not that hump is fat and that Mm -hmm. is their energy So they can go up to a month without water, and when they drink, they can drink up to 30 gallons of water in 13 minutes, just like a a sponge. Now, they
0: have special
1: oval blood cells, yeah, and so these oval blood cells compress when they get dehydrated, and then when they rehydrate like that so quickly, they swell up to like much more of their size, their original size, Mm -hmm. and that kind of thing would kill a regular animal. But with a camel, they can handle it just fine. And they're specially designed to, to do that. They have you know double rows of eyelashes and, and uh, an extra eyelid on the inside that's clear, so if sand comes, it can close down and protect them. Uh, they also have like a strange thing about camels is they have, I call it built-in birth control. Uh, female mm-hmm. camels, they will only ovulate, give an egg on demand. Mm-hmm. So they will only release eggs after they have uh, been with what they call a bull. That's the, Mm -hmm. you know, the one that makes the babies. And so Mm -hmm. it's, it's the bull that, that makes that happen, the egg release. So they, it's just like a very specialized system. And then they have their babies and their pregnancies are about 13 months long. So it's really long and they only generally have one. And then uh, it's a very nice humane form of dairy farming because most people keep their camels with the babies. I mean, you kind of have to uh, because they don't want to give um, milk unless they're bonded and attached and happy and in a good mood. So you're not going to oh, get wow. that milk if they're not happy. And so even the big farms, <laughs> they keep the babies close by for a year to uh, to their moms. And then that's when they would naturally be weaned anyway. And so
0: um,
1: it's a great system.
0: Very, very interesting. So looking at this from... The world's point of view. What is the status on using camel's milk to treat autism spectrum disorder?
1: It's really come from just about zero to uh, a real uh, huge. Well, won't say huge, huge in terms of where we were, which was nothing, <laughs> but a much more growing industry now. So mm-hmm. when I had this idea, I was all by myself, you know, back in the day, and. I got that milk, in, and it worked so well that um, I started doing the research, and there wasn't anything, as I said. But then I discovered that years later, the Amish people in America, some of them, had started milking Mm -hmm. camels. And so Mm -hmm. that was new. That wasn't available when I had to fly mine in. So I got that milk, and I gave it to my son, and it performed uh, the very, uh, the same way. So that's when Mm -hmm. it was like, he was the the, the patient zero that showed that camel milk from two different sources could work for a child with autism. And so that's when I felt safe. Okay. I can write about this. So I wrote this article called got camel milk and it went really viral in the, um, in the world. And it helped mm-hmm. kick off this huge uh, interest in camel milk, not only in America, but especially mm-hmm. in other countries. And it was translated into a lot of things. And so that really helped kick off the mainstream movement. And that was in 2012 and in the next year, I wrote a medical journal article uh, for um, a medical uh, publication, and that got the science attention. And so that spurred more research, and I think it's been cited maybe 12 or 13 times now by other researchers in their work. Mm-hmm. And so um, things have just been going on from there. Like um, there's a lot of interest in China now, in camel milk. Mm-hmm. Suddenly they have finally discovered it, and they are just can't get enough and now uh, the farmers will have times here in America that they run out of milk because they don't have enough for everyone. And then, of course, mm-hmm. they have times when the babies are given a lot, and then they need to say, hey, we've got milk again, again now. <laughs> but it's big, and uh, especially um, the, uh, the range of products. You know, used to, you just can get right. a bottle of liquid milk. Now you can get powder. You can get pasteurized. You can get um, different things. You can even get products. You can get I had a camel oil lipstick that was given to me in Berlin <laughs> when I was speaking last year from some Mongol, some Mongolian, um, people. Wow. That was neat. Mm-hmm. And you mm-hmm. can get, uh, the lotions are good, and we have a lot of lotion and soap uh, available in this country. So, mm-hmm. I've even had camel lipstick. It was a very pretty color. Uh, I get to be a test <laughs> case. People send me their test stuff. It's great for the skin, too, ladies and uh, guys that care about such things. Really good for your skin. Even if you just have a skin irritation, you just take some milk and you put it right. on topically, and it's
0: amazing how it soothes it. Very, very interesting. So someone could say, if I have kissed you, I've kissed a camel. <laughs>
1: Well, if you leave that milk on there and you don't wash it off, you might get a little <laughs> scent of a scent of uh, that. Um, so you never. It's fun.
0: It's fun. Fun to play with. So we'll, we'll very very that, interesting. Let's keep going. Mm-hmm. What uh, other things that scientists are working on with regards to exploring camels and their milk regarding to treating other diseases?
1: Yeah, I'm glad you asked because it's really not just about autism. Um, mm-hmm. As the book explains, Camel Crazy A Quest for Miracles in the Mysterious World of Camels, uh, I have investigated it so that you see that not only has it been used for centuries by other cultures uh, for many conditions, now we're aware that it is showing promise in other areas. So there's diabetes type 1 and 2, there's uh, Crohn's uh, disease, there's food allergies. There's uh, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis, chronic inflammation. Uh, there are kind of there's kind of a guiding uh, guiding principle. It looks like here, so inflammation is this state when your body gets in when it can't uh, fight off the uh, the kind of things that are attacking it, sort of from mm-hmm. the inside, which you could call. You know, you're, um, they might be viral, they might be bacterial, they might be things that just uh, mean that you're not um, processing what they call free radicals well. And so it, it leads your body into a state where it's constantly struggling to return to its normal immune status. Mm-hmm. And a lot of mm-hmm. these problems are caused by even food additives. You know, things in our environment, pollution, right. food. All of those things, as we know, contribute to the risk for developmental disabilities, asthma, um, other kinds of problems. So these days, unfortunately, a lot of us are struggling with, with our environment like that. And so the, the, milk, the milk tends to help in disorders that there's chronic inflammation in. And so in the back of the book of Camel Crazy, I have a, a user's guide It's an appendix, and it tells people all the things I want to know, like, okay, what can it help me with? How much do I take? How much do I prepare? How do I give it? So I've got that in the back. I have tables that show for children how much you give and for adults for different conditions how much you give and how to order it, you know, the questions, how long do I have to use it? And um, how long will it take to work? And then I also have a guide on where to buy it—a global guide. Uh, so it's got information on where to buy the milk in America, but then also in other countries. And so, you know, I know what people want to know about it, and it's all right here in the mm-hmm. back of the book.
0: hmm Wonderful. One of the things that I got it, from the book is that you—I didn't realize this—but camel's milk is also a natural probiotics. That was quite yes. interesting. Because I took mm, well because I I take probiotics over the counter stuff, you know, so
1: mhm. Um well camel milk, like that's the interesting thing I've learned too. Milk is this unbelievable substance. It is super mm-hmm. complex. We cannot ever replicate it in a lab. It's got the amazing mix of things that is designed to basically grow a mammal. Mm-hmm. Uh You know, and even, I guess, I don't know, to speculate on insects, but I think they do give some form of something. But, you know, uh, milk is tailored to do these special things that you can never replicate. So a lot of milks have things in common. They all have, you know, insulin, animal milks do. They all Mm -hmm. have, um, you know, little antibodies that go in and help the child or infant build their immune system before they can do it themselves. So, they do have other things, and, of course, uh, natural probiotics, the beneficial gut bacteria. Camel milk has that, and it's mm-hmm. got a really um, higher quantity of, um, of some things than, than other milks. So, um, you know, it's got uh, n- things that regulate um, neurotransmitters in your brain that regulate your nervous system. GABA, that's called GABA. Um, it's mm-hmm. found in high levels in camel milk. And, of course, the immunoglobulins are super special. They're really, really tiny. They're one half to a tenth of the size of humans, and that's in the milk. And so those kind of characteristics are only found in the shark and camelids. And mm-hmm. so they can these little things, these little um, tiny antibodies, they can penetrate and kill bacteria and viruses better than other antibodies. And uh, it goes on and on. Um, I have a little chapter in my book uh, mostly that explains this, but it's pretty readable. People don't like to read a whole lot of science unless (laughs) it's easy. And then there's – and it's got to be put in a a story that makes sense, like why should they care? So I just have a couple – I have a few pages in here that – easy to read, not too (laughs) overwhelming. But if you can hand it – you can hand this to your doctor or your skeptical family member or whoever because it's chock full of footnotes in the back if they want to be curious and they can look it up for themselves.
0: I thought your book is an easy read respectfully in the sense that it is, it, it is enjoyable. And that's where I thought in terms of, you know, to whoever wants just the facts, ma'am, can get the facts. And at the same time, the story is beautifully laced into all those facts and information that what makes it special from that perspective. So this is not something that is just strictly some tales of someone going around the world seeing all the camels but rather these are true facts that can help whoever needs the help
1: yes and and it is it's we have put a lot of this is a lot of work i will tell you Mm -hmm. it's 14 years of research in this book and And uh, my publisher, New World Library, they were wonderful. And they um, even had a, a science-oriented copy editor that we went very carefully through everything to make sure it was, you know, in the format it needed to be in for those kind of readers. But, but yeah, generally, you want to have something enjoyable and learn at the same time. And I, as a right. writer, I like to to use my my literary um, skills, such as they are, to um, to kind of tell stories. And But to inform at the same time. So I'm really glad that, that it worked for you, and I, I appreciate that. And I really wanted to share these tales, too, because I care about the people that have mm-hmm. camels. In, the, in this country, they're rural people, right. and they struggle. I mean, land is getting very expensive here. We need people to be on the land. And in other countries – they are being pushed off their land, a lot of them. They are struggling, and so they're wonderful people, Just and they have this great heritage of the camels, and, and mm-hmm. this is going to make a difference to humankind, and, and, and yet at the same time they're struggling to survive. So you're going to meet a lot of them in the book, and I, and I know you got to read about them, and you can tell why, mm-hmm. why I enjoy them mm-hmm. so much. We've had a lot of fun encounters, which I talk about in this book.
0: <laughs> what you're meeting, you're meeting ordinary people good people that just live life for themselves and helping the community. And that's the beauty of humanity at its best essence, so to speak. One of the things that my concern or that sort of brought up to the forefront, because now milk, chamomile, from the way I see it, it's still sort of organically produced. When I use this word organically produced, it's just from a term standpoint of view, whereas when you compare that to, say, cow's milk and so forth, there's a massive sort of a engineered way of producing things. I hope that makes sense what I'm talking about, uh, Christina. Is that something that worries you about To before you know it? You know, it's like so mass produced to a point where it loses certain properties to to the essence of the milk in itself?
1: I do think about that often. Right now Mm -hmm. we're at a really good stage because there are still people in the different countries where the camels are are grazing on their heritage plants. They love to nibble from the treetops. They love to get out, and they should be walking. They should be moving. That is a great quality of of camel when you do that. Their muscles Mm -hmm. work great. Their milk is at its peak. So, you know, they should be doing all those things, kind of like us. We should be exercising in nature, diet, that kind of thing. They should be doing the same thing. But in America, we're lucky because our farmers do live, you know, on the farms next to Mm -hmm. the camels. Everybody in the customer community generally is a health customer, and they want this camel milk to be from, you know, really non-GMO type of feed. They want it to be, um, you know, on the land. They want it to be, you know, not treated with anything. Uh, and Mm -hmm. that's how it's being produced right now. And, and we're doing very well on that. And even the big farms, um, like everybody does antibiotic free. And Mm -hmm. so that's, Mm -hmm. that's really great because I mean, you know, use of antibiotics has led to too many problems, uh, through animals and those factory farms you're talking about.
0: Um, so that
1: part is going very well. And do I worry about what I guess I worry about is that, that the camels they do need to have sand they do need to have carefully done feed they mm-hmm. do need to have that well not sand i mean they can have dirt they can have whatever they just need to have you know the ability to go and and move mm-hmm. and and um, you don't see that in those big farms but so far everybody's doing great by the camel because you don't get into it yet i mean nobody's getting into it now because they want to have right. a big farm and make a bunch of money All, everybody's doing it because of their passion for the animal so mm-hmm. the big farms in the Middle East are doing it because they really love the animal and culturally, you know, it's important to them. And, yeah, they can make money great, but they really like it as they're as important to them for those reasons. And the and the people here in America, they just fell in love with the camel. They went camel crazy. Mm-hmm. I mean, a lot of these people are <laughs> farmers. They But they, once they heard about the camel, they thought, well, not only can I maybe make money, these animals are really interesting and unique. And like one mm-hmm. of the farmers... He actually now is going to have buffalo milk, and he's going to have um, other kinds of milk. Uh, and there's even donkey milk now that's starting out mm-hmm. because that has mm-hmm. some incredible properties too. So the the people that do it though, they're not out there to do to make a whole bunch. They're out there because they right, just right, went a little right. camel crazy and they they want to serve it. So so far so good, but I I do worry about that. But I I don't see where it's going to be an easy mm-hmm. thing to make a big factory farm in a bad way uh, because they're <laughs> camels. They don't cooperate. And if they're not happy, they won't give their milk the mothers, and and they need mm-hmm. uh, you know care. They definitely need care. So right. so far, it's it's uh, it's pretty um, it's pretty uh, nice organic kind of movement
0: at this point. Fantastic! You're listening to From My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. A podcast is available on Apple's iTunes, Stitches Radio, Blueberry Podcasting, TuneIn Radio, Mixcloud, and Google Play. My guest is Christina Adams. She is the award winning author of the memoir, A Real Boy. Christina is also a journalist and speaks on autism, writing, culture, and camels. As an expert on autism and the use of camel milk to treat autism symptoms and behavior, Christina advises families and scientists from many countries. She enjoys connecting with people from all cultures. Christina and I are having a conversation about her incredible life's journey and her latest book, Camel Crazy A Quest. For Miracles in the Mysterious World of Camels. I'm your host, Johnny Pan. Christina, where is the most camel-crazy country in the world? Well, I,
1: I know a lot of camel countries love their camels, but I'd have to give it to Somalia. Uh, they <laughs> are just the most camel-crazy country in the world, and you're going to meet some wonderful Somali people in my book if you read mm-hmm. it. They their whole social structure um, as far as like, you know, what do you pay for the if you want, are going to get married? You have to pay a bride price. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, how many camels do you own? Uh, things like that. You know, that's a very key part of their culture. So they um, really grew up with with camels and they still have them over there. It's just, you know, like the country's in a mm-hmm. very um, rough position right now, but they um they, the people grew up with camels a lot, and they would go out and, and stay with them in the jungle or the forest, as they call it, either one. I think they call it the jungle the most. Um, in India, sometimes they call it the forest. But they would go out there and just stay for like a year herding the camels and the, the mm-hmm. boys. And then sometimes the girls did it, but that was a little bit more unusual. But the boys, they would live off of that milk for a whole year. And it just they feel like it makes them extra fit and strong even as they age. And so I heard a lot of amazing fun stories from my Somali friends in this book. And uh they even have the idea of this uh this mother camel that's like you know, a symbol of their culture. Mm-hmm. It's called Mandik and it means like a milk uh milk rich she camel or something like that. Mm-hmm. And um, so yeah, it's very important to them, and it's very sad that when people lose touch with their heritage, be it an animal symbol in their lives or whatever, that it's sad when they don't have it because you know their survival depended on it. If you didn't have camels there, it was really as they one of
0: them said, it's tough to live here. It's tough to live there without camels. Very, very interesting. Should people here in the United States buy a camel for their backyard?
1: not unless you're ready to um be a camel nanny to your camel like learn about it go to <laughs> go to clinics stay up with it nurse it uh be prepared to get uh to get uh into a world that you have no idea
0: uh, but if you're that
1: kind of person then absolutely yeah so, um.
0: do we need a lot of real estate to do that though
1: we need more. We need some real estate to do that. We also need special fencing. We need a water supply. We need a good veterinarian because a lot of them don't mm-hmm. know about camels, but that's getting better too. So um, it's not something you should get into lightly, but if you feel the call and you want to get camel mm-hmm. crazy, there's a whole community here in America that is actually <laughs> global extension. You're gonna, everybody's going to have your back if you do it.
0: <laughs> Fantastic. How does it feel? Being the spokesperson for camels and their contribution to humanity.
1: Well, that's certainly never something that I anticipated that someone would say <laughs> about me. <laughs> uh, but I suppose I am. Yes, I suppose I am. So um, I mean, there's plenty of uh, plenty of people that know way more about camels than I could ever know in my life because they grow up mm-hmm. around them and their and all that kind of stuff. But I think, from the big picture, I I, I do have the advantage of having the big picture and I do have the you know the ability to share the story. So it feels pretty good on that that way on that um on that account because it's important. You don't know that they even exist really if you're in this kind mm-hmm. of culture, western culture over here or even mm-hmm. the the cultures that are camel based. They've lost touch a lot with the with the knowledge right. and, and the the heritage and so it feels good to take something that is such a special thing and has been such a long part of humanity that helped settle Every you know So many cultures through uh, the Silk Road and the way that it was used to transport goods, spices, and, and all kinds of things to help build the world we see. And yet they get completely neglected. And so um, it's kind of strange for me. Like I don't own a camel <laughs> and I live near the beach. But on the other mm-hmm. hand, um, I, can, I can access a camel whenever I want to. And that's a privilege to be sharing camels with uh, – that people share their camels with me.
0: Do you feel that from an introspection standpoint of view, when you talk about you grew up in the country in a way, or at least you have that in your blood, and then now you go through the process of family, and then you end up talking about farming in a different way, dealing with farm animals and so forth. (laughs) Does that make sense from a spiritual journey? How does that, what's your take on that?
1: I think that's an amazing question. You know, I myself was always longing for the cities and uh, mm-hmm. I've been a somewhat ambitious person and longing for cities and big scale things to do and be involved in. And I did move to the Washington DC. I did live in Los Angeles. So I have done all that kind of thing and 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 I enjoyed it and it was great, but I do I do find it ironic that I was I'm pulling up outside a farm. You know, because mm-hmm. I didn't want to move to a farm when I was a teenager. I was very upset at my parents. I don't want to live here. I'm never going to call this place home. You know, mm-hmm. I'm leaving as soon as I can. That's what I told them, and I did. <laughs> but now, here I am pulling up at these farms. I know how to chain a gate shut, you know. I know what right. it sounds like when the gravel and the tires are, are interacting, and and it just feels comfortable. So in a weird way, I'm finding myself more and more attracted to these places that I visit, like out mm-hmm. in the desert, you know, I'm where where I'm where I go visit people, let's say in Nevada. I really love right. the ranch out there and I go to these other places and I don't think I wanna I'm ready to live in one full time right now, but right, spiritually right. it does it does provide a peace. It does for me and I think it does for people in general if you mm-hmm. haven't been out in those situations and you haven't experienced what it's like to be on the land with animals around, it is kind of a a sort of fulfillment and a peace that you get. And Mm -hmm. it is ironic, but very, very precious that I get to enjoy that right now.
0: Well, coming back to your book in terms of all the pictures that I've seen, you seem to be at peace. And that's a sense of uh, like all your life you've been prepared for this. You did not know it then, but now when you are in it, you know, just like, it's smooth if that's the wood one can use. You know what I'm saying? Rather than being out of place.
1: Well, you're so perceptive. This is just a great question. Because in a weird way, um, I mean we never know what's gonna to happen to us next. I never had the right. idea that autism or anything like that was gonna happen, but but it is um it is a smooth kind of thing. Like I do get along with the people in this world easily and well.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: mm-hmm. I think it's because they know I'm interested in them, they know I'm doing it for the right reason and they're really nice, you know. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's perfect, but most everybody's been really wonderful. So, right. I guess uh it, it I think it's well, you have to you have to take the skills that you have and you've got to just do something. Uh, that needs doing. I mean that's kinda how I look at it. Now we don't all mm-hmm. do that kind of thing because we're not crazy enough like me, camel crazy, silly <laughs> idea like why am I doing that, you know? But um I feel like, you know, if you do wanna make a difference, if you do if you do have the chance to do something that could mm-hmm. be important, then anybody mm-hmm. can do that. I mean you can right. go you might be that person at the food bank that's gonna turn somebody's life around. You know, you mm-hmm. might be the person at um at school that's going to help change a kid's life you know you just never know mm-hmm. so it's just mm-hmm. a thing that that you know i think people should go out and get involved in their community
0: fantastic what would you like for someone to gain from reading camel crazy
1: well first of all i would like them to go on this journey with me because there mm-hmm. are things that i never imagined in this book i mean i never imagined this book could exist no one did so, it's against the odds that this book even exists on a lot of levels um because not only is it you know uh, something that you don't know would ever happen, then to get mm-hmm. it published is is something too because you know there has to be a preponderance of of evidence right luckily um, I've got that so it exists so come on the journey, you're gonna meet some amazing people and you're gonna hear things that you just never dreamed, like um about um you know some of the Somali people said that mm-hmm. if you drink a whole lot of camel milk every day in their country, you were so strong that you could not go under anesthesia for surgery. Hmm. You know like you're just not mm-hmm. gonna hear that anywhere <laughs> it's, it's amazing and uh and then you're gonna get a benefit out of it because you're gonna have an open a more open mind, and we all right. need to keep our mind open. You know, nothing is ever truly undiscovered, you know, truly discovered in this Mm -hmm. world. There's always more things to understand, so... It's going to be mind opening, I hope, because it certainly has been for me. Hope it will be for you. And then there will no doubt be a loved one or someone that you know that you're going to say, "I want to give this book to them," because now with the autism rate, you know, one of every 36 U.S. children or something. Or yes, uh, I have the information in my book. But there's also other people, you know, the people that have skin conditions, people that have diabetes, people that have other things. So there'll be somebody that you're going to say, "Okay, I can give this book to them." So I I hope that that's the fun part, Uh, fun and gives you a chance to help someone too.
0: Wonderful. Where can someone go to get more information about you, buy your books, and keep up with your latest happenings? Well, I have a
1: website called ChristinaAdamsAuthor.com, and that's where I post a lot of things. You'll See some articles, videos. You can click on the link to buy the book. Whether you'd like to buy it from independent bookstore, you'd like to buy it from Amazon. You'd like to buy it, and you're an if you're an international buyer, there's links for you. And of course, you can go into any bookstore and buy Camel Crazy. And or if you're on a budget, you can go to your library and ask them to order it for you. But um, I also would say that uh, you know going to um, my website ChristinaAdamsAuthor.com is a way to kind of check in and and see what's happening next um you know if i'm going to be in your area so i would welcome you to 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 stop by and see what's going to go on there and um if you want someone to come and speak to your community as well about these kind of things i do speaking events so certainly you can reach me through
0: the website wonderful what is next for you
1: i don't know right now we've just got so much interest in the book that Am mm-hmm. I going to go uh, to Vegas? Am I going to go to you know another country? Um, am I going to go somewhere next? So I'm I'm looking at the, what events are shaping up right now. I'm speaking mm-hmm. at a conference and um, soon on camelids. Who knew mm-hmm. that there was a whole group of people that like camelids? But now they want to know about camels. Uh, but will I write a novel? I kind of toy with that idea. Will I take mm-hmm. a real job? I don't know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but by the way, as we're closing the show, since our show is about people, family and living life, what would you like to share as a recipe for living with our listeners this morning?
1: Well, I would say that my recipe for living and even though I would like it to have been an elegantly constructed, you know, um Michelin star kind of dessert thing that you look at, <laughs> um I would say it's probably more of a stew. I think most of our lives are more of a stew. So I would say for my recipe, um, start with some good classic ingredients, a solid base of family, no matter what that looks like. And if you can put it in a village, that's the best. You add some nature, books, music, conversation, and quality food. Simple stuff, but ensure that it's present in your stew. Uh, You season when the time comes for each layer. You don't rush it, but you put in your base seasonings when you need to, and then you add those fresh herbs on top and um, you keep an eye on that pot. You don't let your stew get out of control. you got to watch that stew. And you add some zest for some flavor. And uh, then you can, when you make a mistake with your stew, you can scoop out a whole bunch of it and get rid of it and try to uh, <laughs> build it over again. And uh, then you serve it with pride to whoever comes your way in life. And if they don't deserve your stew, then, then they, you can politely suggest that they leave the table.
0: <laughs> That's totally beautiful and only could be done by a master writer that see i think that's where the master's degree in writing in english comes in
1: <laughs> well i hope it's benefiting some some people out there along with uh, me uh from uh, getting to play with words i i do appreciate that a lot
0: <laughs> That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Christina, thank you for the great recipe for living and for spending this hour with me. I'm from My Mama's Kitchen Talk Radio. To all our listeners, please join me next week, Tuesday morning, December 3rd. My guest will be Amy Newmark, the publisher and editor-in-chief for Chicken Soup for the Soul. Amy and I will be having a conversation about the latest release for the holiday season, Chicken Soup for the Soul, It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas. 101 Tales of Holiday Love and Wonder. For additional information about this show and future shows, please go to fmmktalkradio.com. Thank you for listening, and have a blessed Thanksgiving week. Christina, it has been a true pleasure. Thank you again, and I wish you and your family a very blessed and happy Thanksgiving.
1: Thank you, Johnny. Same to you.
0: Thank you. Bye-bye.